Hi and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young adults living in Montreal who meet together to talk about what it means to be a Christian. The podcast today is a sermon from our series on the basic beliefs of Christianity. Hope you enjoy. So I'm sure as you guys were discussing, you had different opinions or different uh, approaches as to what, what humanity is. One that we're obviously going to be taking is, well, we're all Christians here, we're going to be taking the Christian, like, the Christian perspective of what humanity is. And so we're going to be looking at the person of Christ. Now, as you guys have been reading the book, you know that Jesus is one of the historical figures that stand out the most in all of history. He is like not comparable to, let's say, Caesar Julius or, or Alexander the Great or any of these historical figures that everybody knows about. But he, when we talk about Jesus, it's always like he's a topic of controversy because he stands out so much. And what makes him stand out so much is what the, John Stott was pointing to, his sinlessness, among other things. And so... What made him sinless, what we can see in the Bible, is that the way that he lived his life, his actions, his words, really pointed to a a immorality that is beyond our actual grasping. It goes beyond what we can actually understand. And so we see this in his uniqueness, because he truly is unique, um, just in the way that he will like call people to, to like he will point he will direct people towards himself right he will say like I am your savior uh, like if you want to go to the father you have to go through me and things like that I'm, I'm paraphrasing but just to say that he, he really does point a lot of people towards himself and yet in his life he was an extremely selfless person and so it's it's very interesting and he did this all because of his mission, the mission that he was called to live out, which is to be our savior, to die for our sins. And so we're going to be looking at John 8, 39 to 47. So if you guys want to pull out your Bibles, um, here we have essentially Christ uh, uh, having a back and forth with uh, the Jewish leaders at the temple um, he had been there teaching and preaching and just uh, like speaking to different people over there. And uh, at this point, they're having a bit of a debate because they're having a hard time believing some of the things that Christ is doing or saying. And so Jesus, by having more and more in his discourse like and seeing the back and forth, he starts having a clearer picture of what their shortcomings are. And so we're going to be able to see it as we, as we read through. So John 8, 39 to 47. So here it goes. Um, They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God's hear, ears, uh, no, if whoever is of God's hears the words of God, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Sorry about that. <laughs> so um, Jesus here, essentially what he's showing them is that he's um, explaining a little bit of who he is. He's kind of pointing them towards himself and trying to show them who sent him. And he's leading them towards the truth because he sees that they're having a struggle, like they're, they're, they're having a lot of resistance. And it's normal that they would have this resistance because, I mean, these Pharisees would have studied the 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 old like the old testament like like really strongly and so they would set some traditions and it would be hard for them to be moved out of that and so what christ is bringing is something that is new that is different that is not to be expected based on their understanding and tradition and so the pharisees are not understanding what he's saying so that's why they're coming up with so much resistance and if we look at it i mean christ's speech if he if he is truly the son of god then it is of divine nature too i mean yes we can understand it because he's speaking words like in a language that we can understand but the things that he's saying the content of it is of divine nature and so it would make sense that they would have a difficulty understanding it and so jesus challenges them to convict him to try to find things where his doctrine doesn't make sense. He's trying to uh, ask them, like, okay, where is it that I'm inconsistent? Like, f find ways where I am wrong. Uh, and, and they cannot do it. They cannot point to that. Um, he, he, Jesus even said, disproves the, the, like, the fact that they say, oh, well, we, we are like descendants of Abraham. We, we follow Abraham's way. And he's like, well, no, actually, because if you did, then you would have a better understanding of who I am, and you would, and you would actually be doing the works that, that are honoring to God, and, and that's not what they're doing. That's not what they're, they're like emulating. And the other thing is they say, well, we are the sons of God. And he's like, well, if you were, well, I'm the son of God, so you would accept me for who I am, but they don't. And so we, we can see that in the life of Christ, in, every, in, in the Bible, and implied and explicitly, we see that there's no doubt in our heads that he abode to God's law in a perfect sense. Like everything he did was good. And so what they're accusing him of doing is they're accusing him of blaspheming because prior to, to this passage, he, he forgave someone for their sins. And so in their heads, they're like, well, you're not allowed to do that. You're just another human being. How dare you, how dare you forgive someone when forgiveness is from God's domain? But the thing is, it is acceptable if he actually is God. And so th that's something that they're tr still trying to grasp. The other interesting part of this passage is that they're essentially saying, yeah, you are, you, you, you're blaspheming, so, that, so you're committing sin. But as we, as we see in the Bible, like, he didn't commit any other form of sin in his life. So to say that he would sin in just one aspect, that would be inconsistent. I mean, we know ourselves, we know that we don't struggle with just one sin, right? We sin in one area and then that opens a can of worms and we end up in a vicious cycle of different things. So to say that, okay, well, he's perfect in every other aspect, but then he would sin in one aspect seems a little bit inconsistent with how we see or understand sin today. Um, 
And so he keeps uh, like leading them, and and they're trying to um, they're they're trying to point like maybe things that are absurd or or, or not worthy of being believed, but they can't find anything. Um, he even like asks them like so, like tries to ask them like what what are contradictions that you see within myself or within the scriptures like what are things that you think are are wrong and still they cannot answer. And so if what he's saying is true, which I believe to be true, then there then that that would mean that there's no error in his explanation and and who he points himself to be. And the one thing that we understand is that God is truly the only one who has the truth at 100%. And the authority that Jesus is speaking in is one that is like 100%. He's like very confident of what he's saying. And so that means that, in a sense, he's speaking in God's authority, but only God can do that. So then that really does point to his divine nature. Um, and so if he is of divine nature, then if we look at James 1.15, it essentially says that God does no evil. And why is that? Well, because the idea of doing evil would be to not abide by God's law, to go against God's will. But that would be a contradiction for, if, if we define that, yeah, Jesus is God, it would be kind of a contradiction for God to go against God. Like that would be a, a paradox, a just a position. And that just doesn't make sense. Like if he is perfectly intelligent and perfectly good and perfectly coherent, then that would just not follow through in, in the way that we understand God today. And so um, Jesus is, by, by, by understanding that Jesus is God, then we can also understand that it's not just a question that he avoided sin, is that he really could not sin, because then he would be living in a constant contradiction with himself. Now, the only contradictions that I know of is us. We are like, we are constant contradictions. We do things that we don't want to do and we, instead of doing the things that we ought to do. And this is something that is real for us. And I believe that the reason that we're such contradiction is because we have a fallen condition, because we are broken. And, and so even as we, as we look into Hebrews 4.15, we, we have another, uh, the, the author is pointing to the fact that, yeah, Jesus is blameless, that he is separate, that he is unblemished. So all of these things are showing that truly, truly, like he is without sin. But there's something that Jesus can relate to us, that he can understand, that he's experienced in ways that we experience, but uh, he experienced it with more intensity. This is something that we all deal with on a daily basis, um, and that's temptation. So we know that Jesus was tempted because there was reports of temptation. I mean, he, he being in the desert by himself, he came up and shared the fact that he struggled with certain, like that he was, uh, yeah, that he was tempted with certain things and that he had to face this struggle. Um, and, and the way that I, I the, and, and so, sorry, uh, and so, yeah, like, the fact is that he, he was tempted, and, but then to say, well, well, why would he struggle with, uh, with temptation if he can't sin? Well, the fact of not being able to sin makes the temptation even more intense. The, the temptation that Jesus had to face was of great intensity. The way I like to think of it in a small, minutiae way is that, for example, you are extremely hungry. You haven't eaten in days. You are famished. You see a little bit of rice that's been on the dirt in this church for like 
weeks, because sometimes that happens here. And you're just like, oh, you know what? That looks extremely delicious. Like right now I could eat that and I would be like the happiest person. But then instead we present a platter, one of your favorite dishes, the thing that you could eat every day that you wouldn't bother like having to eat it over and over and over. And then you're told you can't eat it. You can't, you, you can't taste it. You can't touch it. That would be extremely hard. Or the other way I like to think of it is, let's say you have an itch, your butt is itching, and you're in a meeting, and you're like, well, I kind of want to, but it would be inappropriate. Like, I can't do that. And so you're just like oh, trying to move, and you're like, okay, you know what? Like, maybe if I do this, and, and at the end you cave in, one way or another you end up scratching your butt. So, so like, that's, that, that's like, and that's the difference that we have with Jesus, right? Is that we cave in every single time. And so, the fact that he can't cave in, that he can't go in that, in that direction to actually go and sin, makes it that what he's experiencing is a gajillion harder than whatever we have to experience. And so we also understand then that temptation is not sin. I think this is pretty obvious. We've learned it even in Sunday school. Um, what temptation is, the definition that I found, was that it is a collision between a lower and higher aim. The lower aim usually being your instinct, whatever you're naturally prone to do. So like you're hungry, you go eat. You're uh, lacking in intimacy, you go seek that out. You are lacking in, in sleep, you go and sleep. So like just things that are pretty like basic, like that you, you feel a need to. And then the higher aim would be to do God's will, to obey uh, and to live a life that is honoring him and glorifying him. And so... We, the, the thing is that although Jesus didn't sin, he was made sin. Now, does, that, it doesn't mean that God sinned in any way. But what it means is that he shared in the punishment. Essentially, he took the punishment from us. He shared in our experience of alienation. During that time of punishment where Jesus was punished for our sins, he, he felt a separation from the Father. And that's what happens to us if we are in a fallen state. We are separated from God. And so that's the, the part that he gets to, that he shares with us, that, that he experienced with us. Um, another aspect of why we can, sh we can believe that um, Jesus has two natures, so he is man and he is fully God, is that he is free from any hereditary or depravity or actual sin. So I'm going to jump into the incarnation. And so we're going to be looking at Luke 1, 26 to 38. So um, this is the virgin birth, but this is a, a bit before. Uh, so what's happening here is that Mary is receiving a visit from the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel is just giving her a heads up of like, hey, in a not too distant future, you're going to be bearing a child. And so we're going to read. Um, okay. So in the sixth month... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, to you. Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greetings this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign for he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who has said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be as you have said. Then the angel left her. Sorry if that wasn't clear. <laughs> um, so we have something, a, a truly unique idea, something that is very different from other cultures. Now, I'm sure you're all a bit familiar with Greek, Greek mythology, and you know that there are gods with a small g, uh, would come to earth, and then they would be involved with a human being, and then they would bear a demigod. But that's not what we have here. We don't have that carnal aspect. We don't have that physicality that, that we see in other cultures. This is a complete miraculous thing where God is actually intervening and bringing forth a child um, without the involvement of men. And the thing is, even Mary is, is like, how can, th- how can I possibly bear a child? Like, I, I, I have not had sex. Like, I, I can't, I haven't been involved with anyone, so how would that even be possible? And so more and more, we, we're starting to see that, yeah, indeed, like, Jesus is man because he came from, from Mary, but he is also God because he came from God. Like, he, he was born out of, yeah, an unseedless, like, there was no seed of men involved in this. And so, one thing that we, one of the most important attributes or characteristics that we can give to God, or that we are called to uh, acknowledge from God, sorry, that's poor phrasing, um, is that he is holy. That is the one thing that is the most important for us to know is that God is holy. And so what does holiness mean? Well, the Semitic root of holiness means to cut. And so when you cut something, you separate it. You have a piece together and then you, you, you cut it in two. And that's the way we read it. We call it, uh, we, the way we read it in the Bible is set apart. So that's one of the meanings that holiness has. And it makes sense. God is set apart from us. He doesn't, like, he, he, he's not like us in that sense. Um, the, other, uh, w- the, the other meaning to holiness, and this is the one that we're the most familiar with, is um, that it's, it points to righteousness or true morality or being good or being pure. And, and that's the one that we usually think of when we think of holiness. So then what would be, what is moral? Well, what we've seen throughout like even in the beginning when I was talking is that to, to be moral is to abide by God's law. But to abide by God's law doesn't mean to just do actions that are good or that seem good in the outside. No, it is to actually um, really, like, even in our hearts, pursue God's law in, in, in a perfect sense. And so when we look at the holiness of Christ, we, we're not just thinking, well, there's an absence of sin because we've already established what holiness means. Instead, what it, what it actually represents uh, for us is that he essentially lived in a perfect conformity to the will of the Father. For us, we are able to do good. I mean, we know this. We see a lot of organizations that are out there that are very helpful, like Red Cross, uh, Doctors Without Borders, 
uh, Nurses Without Borders, woohoo, uh, and uh, like different organizations that are helping the environment and whatnot. But even though we can do good, even though an action can seem just, often than not, our motivations are not completely right. And so when we do something that appears good, but the motivation is not right, God is not, is not pleased with that. And so for us to, to be pleasing to God, we have to try to really do things with the intention that is honoring him. And how do we do that? Well, by abiding, by, by abiding to him. And so the holiness of God is a withdrawal from sin because it does have that aspect, but it's also an outgoing purity, an action, an active thing that goes out and, and slays sin. That's what, what holiness does. If, if holiness is, is pure and good, then it would be the opposite of sin. And so what it does, it's, it's important to us because then if Jesus being holy, then he, by being an ally of ours, then becomes one who would fight sin for our sake. And that's what he does. That's what he does on the cross, and that's what he's doing in our lives daily. Um, he's, we, we, so we've established that Jesus is God, but he's also man. And that means that he had limitations as a human being too. He had to experience uh, sleepless, uh, like fatigue and hunger and all the things that we are limited to do. Like we, we have to eat, we have to do different things uh, to, to kind of live in our daily life. And so Jesus had to do those things too. But if he had sin, because oftentimes we think that what defines us as human beings is, well, we are all sinners. That's what makes us human. But if what we come to understand in the Bible is that if he had sinned, then he would have been less than human. And, and so we have to see sin as a dehumanizing thing. It's something that when it enters our lives, it, it breaks the purity that we, were, that we had or that we were meant to have. It, it makes it so that we can't be part of God anymore, that we can't experience God's presence, that, that we can't even approach him. Think of it this way. Uh, you start with a glass of clean, clear water, and then you add dirt to it. Well, the water will never be clean. It will never be clear unless you go and you make like processes, chemical things or physical things. I, I don't really know. But, but it's all to say that once you add that dirt, then, then that's it. Like the water will never be clear. It will never be clean. And that's the way we, as, uh, we experience sin. As soon as we sin, like that thing just becomes part of us, like it's stuck to us, and there's no way for us to get rid of it by ourselves. Um, God being holy, as I established before, means that we, in our impure state, we cannot approach him. Uh, an analogy that I saw on YouTube that I, uh, from the Bible Project, which I thought was pretty good, was um, comparing God's holiness to the sun. The more you get close to the sun, if you're not wearing the proper gear, you're gonna get incinerated, you're gonna burn. And that would, that's exactly what would happen to us in our fallen state. If we approach God in our fallen state, then we would be completely destroyed because nothing impure can approach him. And so um, when we think of impurity, usually looking at the example of, of the water, like once you add like dirty water, like once you add dirty water to another, to, to clean water, that clean water becomes dirty. So it's the idea that if you have impurity touching impurity, the way we understand it usually is that uh, impurity touching something pure, then that pure thing will become impure. But that's where 
Christ comes in and makes the opposite and makes that different. Um, there's um, in Isaiah 6, verse 7, uh, Isaiah is t- like experiencing the seraphim coming to him and then touching him with a coal. And that essentially is uh, making him seem like pure. Um, and that's exactly what Christ does for us, is that he essentially is making us look good, is making us look pure, is making us look perfect. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and by realizing that, then, then the feelings that we should experience are the same ones that Isaiah in, in that passage is expressing, like feelings of, of punity, of realizing just how broken and how small we are. It should make us feel really like, uh, it, it should make us realize even more our imperfection and just how, sm- yeah, how puny we are. And, and looking at Jesus' moral purity should then bring a feeling of, 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 of just disgust with our own impurity. It should make us realize just how broken we are. The closer we come to God, the closer we should realize how far we are from him. And, and that's something that is just true. Like the more you try to, be, uh, to, to live by God's standards, the more you realize that you can't. Um, and so what this should do, our lack of holiness, is not to say, well, then that's it. I'm, I'm not holy, so I'm just going to give up. No, what it should do in our hearts is that it should bring a yearning for us to live in a holy way, to, to strive to be better people, to, to do good. And, and how do we do that? Well, he, he, being man, showed us an example to live by. And so to try to emulate the example that he has set for us is one way for us to truly uh, try to become holy. Now, of course, I understand that it's not out of our own actions, but the things that we should try to emulate, emulate from him is the way he th- like thought and the actions and the character. We should be motivated to do God's will in every aspect of our lives. And just then, then do we actually become true humans. Sin is not what makes us human. Um, and if we look even before the fall, Adam and Eve, they didn't know sin. They lived in perfect harmony with God, and they, yeah, they, they, they were in communion with him. So then to say that sin would be the thing that, would makes, that is what makes us human, it contradicts even what, it, what was at the beginning. And so Jesus is the best example for us to what a true human ought to be. Now, as I said before, I understand this is not something that we can do ourselves. We don't have the ability to make ourselves holy because holiness is something that is really characteristic to God. Only God can make someone holy or or God is holy. Um, And so although we can't make ourselves holy, there is something that is extremely important in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that changes everything for us, is that by that happening and then, being, and, and then ascending, he sent one who would work in us and make us holy and change us to become better people, and that's the Holy Spirit. And that's what the idea of sanctification is, is that we are made into holier people, into godlier people. And so, the begin, at the beginning, I asked the question, what is true humanity? Well, if after all of this, what we can understand of true humanity is to live in a Christ-like way, to do what is pure, to live in a sinless way, to try to live abiding by God's law. 
then what defines us? Well, obviously, then it's not the insecurities, the things that we don't like about ourselves, the brokenness. Those are not the things that define us. Although they're part of us, they're not the things that make us who we are meant to be. If anything, it is the new life that Christ presents to us that gives us as a gift one that becomes holy. That is who we're meant to be. That is who, what defines us. And so what are our shortcomings? Well, I think that I've explored enough of that. It's sin. It's what impedes us to actually experience God's presence. So let me pray for us. Father God, Lord, thank you so much for all that you do, Lord, for, yeah, changing us into better people every day, Lord. We realize, Lord, that we are not able to honor you by our own works, Lord, that we don't have the strength. But thank you, Christ, for showing us the example uh, of how, we're, how we ought to live, Lord, how we can do good by your eyes, Lord. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that every day as we go out into the city, Lord, that we may try to bring glory to you, Lord. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can find us on the website peoplesmontreal.org. There you'll find information about where and when we meet, as well as a catalog of past sermons and other resources. Hope to see you soon.